Well, why don't we uh, start by doing introductions? Um, I will uh, ask uh, you to go first, uh, Stephen Collins. Uh, okay, so yeah, I'm Steve Collins um, from Acid Labs. I'm also on the board of EFA, uh, so have a long-standing interest in in the issues we're going to be talking about today. Um, and uh, as has already been seen on Twitter, I want to welcome Peter Black to EFA. Help, he's going to be helping us out with some of the campaign management around this issue. Well, that's a nice segue. Why don't you introduce yourself, Peter Black? Uh, thanks, Cam. Thanks, oh, Stephen. Good, good. Um, uh, yeah, no, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a lawyer by trade. I've been working at Queensland University of Technology, but have uh, come on board to help the EFA out with the of the online and offline campaign that they're going to be running to uh, respond to the government's internet filter campaign. Awesome. And uh, Jim Stewart, why don't you hey, intro yourself, Jimbo? Uh, yeah, I'm uh, the director of Stuart Media. We're a search engine optimization company, and I've been bitching and complaining about government interference in the internet since 1997, probably, uh, and uh, have been following the uh, internet censorship debate uh, quite closely, and I'm really concerned about what it's going to do for Australians' access, uh, especially from a business perspective. All right. Well, welcome to the show. Uh, and my name is Cameron Riley. I'm the uh, founder, CEO of the Podcast Network. And uh, whoever's clicking away in the background there, um, little tip on the, in the Skype conference window. There's a little mute button down there. What I'd suggest, because there's a few of us, is uh, if you're not uh, speaking into the microphone, maybe hit the mute button so um, we don't hear the uh, background noise. Um, well, I, I, I'm going to ask. Uh, somebody to give us a snapshot. I'm going to assume that the the folks uh, listening to this either live uh, on the Ustream page or uh, on the, listening to the recording are somewhat familiar with the background behind No Clean Feed. I'm going to get ask for somebody to give us an update, though, that this being recorded on the 8th of January 2010. Um, Peter, in your new role as the uh, spokesman for the EFA side of things, do you want to do that? Certainly, just a, just a quick recap of, of where we're at. Yeah, obviously, there's been there's been a few things happen in the the course of the last sort of month, six weeks since Senator Conroy came out and said, "Yes, we're definitely moving ahead with this post the trial." Uh, there's been a series of meetings around the country that the EFA have been involved in setting up or certainly participating in. There's been a lot of grassroots stuff going on. There's been a lot of uh, you know backwards and forwards uh, e- emails and letters to Senator Conroy's office and with uh, Senator Lundy on her uh, blog. But I thought it might be good for you to just sort of give it, spend, let's spend five or ten minutes uh, getting a status update and then we can talk about uh, where to from here. Okay, certainly. Well, I mean, as as you identified, uh, Cam, the the online community throughout Australia have uh, begun to sort of take uh, action in a variety of different forms to try and mobilise against what the what the Australian government is currently proposing. And, and so there have been a series of meetings, emails, websites, Facebook groups, um, Twitter uh, activities that have sort of popped up uh, very organically um, just from sort of the net roots. And the, the challenge now, I think, for the EFA and for some of the other um, bigger organisations that have a stake in this particular debate is to work towards achieving uh, a practical political outcome 
um, that will achieve the, the, the desired policy goals that everyone is really striving for in this particular instance. So one of the things that I'm going to be um, trying to do in my, in my role for the EFA is to try and draw some of the various different threads and various different activities together so that we are all sort of moving in the one direction or with the one voice so that we can actually affect um, meaningful change rather than just, you know, picking up, uh, you know, a fuss in our own little corner of the internet. And what do you think that meaningful change should be? Well, I mean, I don't necessarily want to speak prematurely here. I, mean, I think we need to talk to the various different um, individuals, organisations, political parties and sort of work out what that is. But I would have thought that a, 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 a base point, a starting point would be to try and remove the mandatory nature of the filter. Now, what that means can be you know, discussed and worked out, but, but I think that's likely to be where um, a practical compromise might be able to be reached. All right, Jimbo, uh, do you want to give me your perspective on what's been happening in the last few weeks, uh, your feelings on the current state of play and where to from here? Yeah, uh, look, Stephen Collins and I have had some full and frank discussions via Twitter on the best approach to (laughs) combat the uh, the internet filter. But my, my take on it is this. Back in 1998, we had the uh, Senator Alston uh, pandering to the Christian Senator Brian Harradine and we got the introduction of the blacklist. Now, in 2001, I did a show back then uh, after the first year of operation of the blacklist. It cost something like, I forget the actual numbers, but it was over, certainly over $1.5 million, and I think it was over $2 million to operate that blacklist, which included things like issuing takedown notices to sites that were hosting material that was either MAR rated or refused classification. Now, the, and that was, there was only about three sites in that year, that, and it cost us all that money, all that taxpayer money. Now, the blacklist did absolutely nothing except collated uh, probably the most unsavoury list of sites on the internet that people could find. And then, as we learnt earlier uh, in 2009, when that list got hacked, all we had was a nice big bucket, very unsavoury sites that now everyone could access. It didn't actually block access. So now what the government's proposing to do is to block this refuse classification content and whilst I'm a I'm libertarian, and I, as far as Liberal and Labor go, I say toss on both the house. The the reality is is that that argument is not going to cut through. And what really upsets me, apart from the free speech issues, and I think the free speech issues are the most important. But the real issue here is that you are working with a system, uh, the internet, that is designed so that no one computer is more important than any other computer on the internet. That's what it was designed for. That's what the US military gave us the internet for. It was so that Washington could withstand a nuclear attack, all the computers get out and the network keeps running. So the phrase we hear over and over again is really true, which is the the internet determines censorship as damage and routes around it. Just look at what the music industry went through with Napster. Um, you know, they're still struggling to come to terms with people downloading illegal files. What my question would be to Senator Conroy is what happens when your filter annual list gets hacked again? What happens when it breaks? What happens when we have this, this very robust system of the internet, but what happens when this thing breaks down? Because it will get hacked. We know it will get hacked. It's been hacked already. It'll get hacked again. And what happens to our multi-billion dollar online industry when that happens? 
Who is responsible? Who do I ring up to say all our access is gone because your filter has been hacked and it's blocking entire access? Does the whole country go down? What happens? I mean, just even even the if you uh, are ranking number one for a particular phrase, it's bringing a lot of uh, traffic for you. Now, this is a, this is an analogy. If you drop to say number seven or eight. You're going to lose a lot of money. Now, imagine what happens if your site is inaccessible by half the country for a day. What does that mean to your revenues? What does that mean to your business leads? And, and these are the serious questions that I don't think um, we're hearing uh, the Conroy's uh, uh, answer at the moment. Everything seems to be focused around um, we go into this free speech debate, and what happens is, is that people just bring out things like child porn, um, the rape scenes and everything's unsavoury. And it, that sort of stuff is really hard to cut through and argue against in the media. What isn't uh, hard to argue, I would, I would put forward, is that this thing is going to be a monumental waste of money. The people who believe in free speech know how to get around it. Every kid will know how to get around it. But it's going to be a monumental waste of money and it has the, the added um, the problem of possibly... Uh, taking down uh, internet access in Australia. have to ask yeah, the question, Jim, are you a child pornographer? <laughs> have you stopped beating your wife? <laughs> Peter, <laughs> uh, Peter uh, yeah. I think uh, getting a lot of interference through from your uh, signal there, mate, uh, you might want to try and hit the uh, mute button. Uh, okay. Which we're talking. Sure. Um, uh, Trib, Steve, anyway. why, why don't you uh, give us your piece? Yeah, look, I... Jim and I, as he said, have had some full and frank discussions about you know, somewhat divergent views on how we address things. Um, but I think we're in pretty violent agreement on a lot of stuff. Uh, the problem is that the argument from the side of, well, certainly the Labor Party, is being couched in terms of you know, effectively fear, uncertainty and doubt. I mean, I, the, the, the conversation that I have with people who are on our side of the fence, who are, who are rich in understanding of this issue, is what you need to do is convince people like my sister about this stuff. My sister is a hairdresser. She's a bloody good hairdresser, but she doesn't have any need to use technology the way you use technology. So her kids use the internet and the web. Um, her husband does, but she doesn't. But, you know, she was sitting and talking to me and having a conversation at my niece's birthday. They gave my niece a laptop for her birthday, and she said, you know what, I'm really worried about the child pornographers and the pedophiles out there on the internet. I'm afraid that my daughter's going to be, you know, stalked. And, you know, I'm gripping the edge of the table with my knuckles going white because I wanted to leap across the table and shake her by the shirt and say, it's not the same, it's not what you think it is, it's not what the media is telling you. So I think more than anything else, what we've all got to do when we're educated about this issue is, yes, as Dean has said, the Aunt Gladys effect um, on, in, the, in the chat, what we've got to be able to do is get out there and convince people like my sister who's never browsed the web, who's never sent an email but is still afraid about protecting her kids, that the stuff that's going to protect her kids is not spending millions of dollars on putting in a filter that, as Jim says, will be hacked, contains inevitably stuff that's inappropriately on there and just doesn't need to be on there. I mean, hell, your business, my business, Jim's business, if someone got the shits with us and complained, we could end up on the, we could end up on the list. And if we end up on the list, that wrecks our business and does bad things to our reputation. Far, far better to funnel that money back to the, the high-tech crime centre at the Federal Police so that those guys who really do catch the crims, who really can find them in the places where they lurk, which is not on the public web, can actually do law enforcement properly. Spend the money 
I mean, I don't mind anyone spending the money. Spend the money appropriately. Don't do stuff and implement programs that are not going to work. The problem is, of course, now that Senator Conroy and the Labor government have backed themselves so far into a corner. I mean, you look at the discussion on Kate Lundy's blog, which has been pretty full and frank. They've backed themselves so far into a corner that they've almost got to justify their position because of the way the Labor Party works is that, you know, thou shalt not cross the floor, thou shalt not take a principled stand. And, you know, unfortunately, I think this is a this is a principles issue and it should be a vote of conscience in the parliament. So we need to do things like convince the people like my sister. We need to convince the opposition because arguing with Labor polys isn't going to work because they're committed to a position. So make sure that the legislation doesn't get through in Parliament when it comes up next year or this year. Well, um, thanks, guys, for, for And there's giving different this, ways of doing that. Thank, thanks for giving those opening remarks, as we call it in the profession. <laughs> um, I guess I'll, I'll want to spend a couple of minutes giving my perspective on it too. Anyone who saw me speak at the, the Brisbane Noakley feed event or um, has been in uh, Trib's discussion room knows that my perspective on this is, is slightly different from what I hear most people talking about. I, personally, I think the filter itself is a bit of a furphy and, uh, and uh, not the real um, argument here and not, and not really what's going on. It's just the thin edge of the wedge. As somebody who's you know been... Um, uh, very passionately following uh, you know, the geopolitical scene for 20, 30 years um, and has witnessed what's happened in the United States since the you know, early 80s when Reagan became president and the, the rise of the power and influence of the Christian right movement in the United States into all areas of the political scene and, and you know, subsequently their attempts to change the education system, to change the media, to fit with their particular um, set of moral guidelines and the particular outcomes for the nation that they've been driving. I see, I see this uh, filter as one of the first steps of the Christian right in Australia, which has been growing in power and vocality and, and in terms of their focus and coordination for the last uh, five to ten years in Australia. I see this as the beginning of a, a bigger uh, ideological battle. And the problem with that is, when you take it from that perspective, is this isn't about a single piece of legislation. This is about an ideological battle where all of the major parties and the uh, minor parties that, that hold the balance of power uh, are, uh, have the same sort of leadership. I mean, we, we can look at the ALP. You know, we know that uh, the Prime Minister Kevin Rudd is—he's uh, he, gone out publicly and, and denoted himself as a creationist. Uh, we know he has very strong uh, Christian views. We know that uh, Senator Conroy, uh, similarly, has very, very strong uh, Christian right views. Of course, Stephen Fielding, and, and I think the—you know—it's hard to pinpoint. When this, uh, when the ALP's uh, stance on this went from uh, optional to mandatory around about the election, we, we've got evidence, and I think Steve, you pulled a lot of this stuff up uh, in December. Evidence from uh, Beasley when he was running the ALP, and then from Conroy uh, 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 just before the last federal election, both talking about this filter as being optional. Some stage around about just before or just after the election, it became mandatory. Now, I think that has a lot to do with uh, the preferences of fielding, but I stand to be proven wrong. I'll be on the other side of the camp with the Libs, now led by Tony Abbott, 
absolutely fundamentalist uh, on the Catholic right. Joe Hockey, who may or may not be leading the Libs uh, after the, they, they lose at the next election, um, again, is, uh, has gone out very publicly and positioned himself on the Christian right over the last six months. So right across the political spectrum with these major parties, we have uh, leadership that is very uh, concerned about the votes that the Australian Christian lobby represents and are fighting over these seats. So the battle that I see that we're lining up for is one around uh, a, a battle for the hearts and minds of Australia, uh, whether or not we want to end up more like the United States with this increasingly powerful Christian lobby um, or not. And, I, and I'm concerned that if we get too focused on this single piece of legislation, we might, even if we win this particular battle, we will lose the war. So with, with that as my opening statements... Um, I want to talk a little bit about um, the actual uh, refused classification classification um, yeah. Yeah. under the National Classification Code because, I, as, as I said in my talk in Brisbane, um, you know, this is a massive propaganda battle going on here and Senator Conroy is very, very good at playing the propaganda game. And, you know, anyone who's a student of politics, and I know uh, all of us on, on, on the call are, you know, they have um, a lot of money is spent on making sure that their messaging is consistent and it's, it's highly engineered messaging as well, designed to elicit a certain emotional outcome in the audience, which is why we hear child pornography and rape mentioned over and over and over by Senator Conroy. But um, somebody, again, Steve, I think I saw this on your blog, pulled out the actual wording of the RC classification. I'd like to read it for the audience in case they haven't read it, because I think this is very important that we all understand. Um, this is from the National Classification Code. It says, um, def definition of RC classification. Publications that A, describe, depict, express, or otherwise deal with matters of sex, drug misuse, or addiction, crime, cruelty, violence or revolting or abhorrent phenomena in such a way that they <laughs> offend against the standards of morality, decency and propriety generally accepted by reasonable adults to the extent that they should not be classified or B, describe or depict in a way that is likely to cause offense to a reasonable adult, a person who is or appears to be a child under 18, whether the person is engaged in sexual activity or not, or C, promote, incite, or instruct in matters of crime or violence. Now, to me, this is very loosely worded. I mean, it, it deal with matters of sex in such a way that they may offend against the standards of morality and decency. I mean, whose standards of morality and decency is the question? It's a very 18th century definition, isn't it? It sounds like it to me. It's very grey. And when Conroy speaks about it, he's like, well, it's all about stuff that's already illegal and child pornography and rape. Mm. But mm. when you read the classification, that's just incorrect. He is blatantly, deliberately misrepresenting what RC is. Now, uh, Peter, as the lawyer amongst us, uh, can you talk about that classification? I mean, that to me, as a layman, seems completely uh, loose and grey. Uh, should we be concerned about that? Is there wiggle room in there for them to classify lots of things under RC? Well, I might just say something as a lawyer, um, which is which is my background. That there's always been accepted within 
you know, the, the Western liberal democracies of the US, the UK, uh, Australia, that there is some role for regulation when it comes to obscenity or, or something like that. And a lot of the language that you see within that refused classification definition in the legislation and in the, and in the, the guidelines, uh, etc., uh, sort of have its origins in that sort of common law definition um, of obscenity. Now, it does, I totally agree, on its face, seem to be very wishy-washy um, and, and very broad. I suppose that the, 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 the government would counter that concern by saying that the people who uh, classify and therefore interpret these particular definitions um, are drawn from the community and that it is up to them to um, you know, apply whatever they feel the community standards uh, to be. And do we know? Do we know who those people are? Do, do we have visibility of the men and women that are sitting down and determining, uh, you know, what is moral and decent and what isn't? Well, yes and no, as is often the case. Uh, uh, yes, in the sense that the members of the um, classification board um, are uh, publicly available. You can see, and I go to the website of the uh, classification board and see who those individuals are, and anyone from the community is free to stand for one of those positions every few years um, when they come up. And that's certainly very much the case for the offline world. It gets a little bit trickier in the online situation because they talk about what there's a role then for ACMA, the Australian Communications and Media Authority, to say that some content is likely to be classified with use classification or the other. And the people who make those determinations are for the ACMA are not actually uh, publicly known in the same way that the classification board is. Uh, and that obviously is, is, is one aspect of concern in terms of how this particular process of developing um, the blacklist would take place. Peter, so, I mean, that, I'm not sure oh, that's sorry. been very helpful, but that is trying to provide some of the background there. Sure. I was just going to say, Peter, would I be right in saying that uh, refused classification, it's not actually illegal to own uh, refused classification material? So I'm no lawyer, but I the, think the way, that's correct. You can, yes, no, that, like, for that, example, that, I, could that, that a, I could own a copy of Baisemois if I wanted a copy. I'm sure Margaret Pomerantz has a copy. Um, that is but, correct. It's, it's not illegal. See, uh, to me, to my mind, this is one of the dangers that the, um, and I'm not telling people how to, how to get rid of the filter, but to me, one of the dangers is, is going down the argument of censorship that you do end up uh, deep in these sorts of definitions of uh, who, what's reasonable, what's not reasonable, and all these other things. Well, whilst at the end of the day, it, it, it's a bit like talking about the emperor's new clothes, whether they're nice or not, because the thing doesn't work anyway, and we're spending all this money on it, and it's going to do more harm than good. I mean, the, the WikiLeaks example last year, we had 11,000 sites within weeks of the government's site of the government's filter being hacked we had 11,000 sites just in the Australian domain space talking about WikiLeaks all of a sudden that happened within a month and they're all pointing to the blacklist so my point about this is, is that all it does is it puts all these nasty things that a lot of people find nasty and horrible into a big bucket and the government says, okay, no one go to these sites over here. And the only reason that we know about those sites is because they're collecting a list. 
and, and this is this is the this is my whole argument with this thing. It's just like if we go down the track of getting into what is censorship and, and what's not censorship, um, the government is going to play the same cards all the time. And to my mum and dad, they're just going to go, "Well, no, I don't want kids looking at that stuff." Yeah, I'm, I think that's you're, right. You're, you're right, I think Jim. That's... Go ahead, Pete. Sorry, Stephen, I'll let you go on. <laughs> no, yeah, yeah, well, I think we, we, yeah, we all agree on one chunk, and, and the, Ian Cass noted it in the chat room as well. How do we convince his dad or my sister or, you know, the people who, you know, or your, or your dad, Jim, the people who think, well, yeah, of course, protecting the kids is completely legit. Um, you know, I mean, convincing, you know, those sorts of people, again, that things like, you know, Bill Heffernan's photos um, are not inappropriate as well, uh, you know, is, is a difficult thing to do. And unfortunately, you often have to drift towards technical arguments to show that it doesn't work. And of course, then their eyes glaze over and, and we just, mm. you know, we can't convince anyone of anything because they, they lose focus and they're not listening to us. But we should, um, we should point out that Senator Conroy, and I've heard him say this in interviews in the last month, is very upfront about saying that this isn't a silver bullet solution uh, this isn't going to be completely fail-safe, you know, it doesn't tackle P2P, etc., etc. He's quite happy to admit that this is just one little, you know, a tactic. This is a first step, that there are lots of other things that they're going to look at, but this is just one way of making it more difficult for people to access this content. Which I is- think the, sorry, I was just going to say, I think the argument then is, back to that, back to that argument, is that, yes, but there's been instances where ISPs around the world have had filters in place that have been hacked and they've taken down the access to everybody on that ISP. And I think, you know, if, if, if you explain to people, this will be hacked and no one knows what will happen when it is. That to me is, uh, you don't have to get into technical, technical arguments to, you know. I mean, I haven't heard the government once say, oh, well, we don't know what we'll do when we get hacked. No, they, and they, because they don't have an answer. Hmm. They didn't have an answer for the WikiLeaks release before, except to run around and flap their arms and, you know, alert the AFP. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and then they got, and then uh, WikiLeaks gets raided. Yeah, that's right, because they asked the Swiss government to do it for them. Yeah. yeah. Um, which, you know, frankly, I don't think that's particularly appropriate, but, you know, that's the AFP's job. Um so, so just, yeah, yeah. J- just getting back to this, the wording of this RC classification, guys, I mean, uh, you know, they're talking about, again, to, to read that, that first um, section of it, matters of sex that uh, may be found to be revolting or abhorrent. Now, something like two, two Girls, One Cup. Now, we all found Two Girls, One Cup revolting and abhorrent, but that doesn't mean I'm not glad that I saw it. Um, and, and, you know, uh, would my life have been worse off if, it, if I hadn't seen it? Possibly. But what about things like um, they talk about crime, cruelty, violence that are abhorrent. I mean, um, back in the uh, early days of the invasion of Iraq and Afghanistan, I remember seeing a video of uh, a couple of uh, Afghani freedom fighters uh, executing an American soldier by beheading him. Uh, now, that was abhorrent and revolting, but mm. it was, you know, something that it, it is news that is going to be filtered already out of, you're not going to see that on the 6 o'clock news, you're not going to see it on any official uh, mainstream media website, Th- those sorts of things which are revolting, are abhorrent, 
do you know probably would come under the classification of yeah, but it crime would, it or would, violence, but are important news items. But it wouldn't get blocked. Wouldn't it? it? Get, Why no, wouldn't it? Because it? it's video. That's right. Well, yeah, you might block a, you know you might block a web page that the video is linked into or embedded in, but you could certainly. You know, if you had direct link to the uh, to the video file, you can grab it but and away you go. But that's my whole point about the folly of trying to apply this sort of filtering classification to the internet. Because you know that video is hosted on YouTube. I mean, every Wednesday, and Cam does this. I mean, I, I, I do every Wednesday. I, I publish the, my video blog to twelve different sites, and it's the same video. Then it gets scraped by about thirty other sites out there. RSS feeds go out. I mean, you cannot block this stuff. I mean, how, how, what, at what point do we say, okay, the blacklist is now at one million URLs, what do we do now? You know, because that's what we're talking about. And what I would, as a, not even a civil disobedience exercise, but just as an exercise to show the folly of this stuff, is that, you know, we had the, the, the NADA video in the Iran protests, that, that was, one page was blocked uh, under the filter earlier uh, in 2009. What I would like to see is every time we see someone finds an RSS feed of that same content, that should be reported to the ACMA. ACMA should send that over to the OFLC. The OFLC should say, well, yes, it's the same content as something else we've already blocked. That one should be blocked as well. And we will just... That's what I say to people. If this is applied properly, the ACMA budget is going to be twice as much of education and it's going to rival that of the military if they do their job properly. Because the, the well, URLs... going to run out by Jan- into January every year. Yeah, the URLs are endless. This is the whole nonsense of this thing. Yeah. It's, it's the, and how then, how, when, the, when that blacklist gets to a couple of million URLs, what's the efficiency like of the filters to quickly scan all those URLs to make sure that the one that you're trying to access isn't in that list? At what point do we stop? At the moment, it's only at 2,000. Okay, guys, let's, let's start talking about messaging. Um, there's been a lot of chat in the chat room around, you know, um, how you how reposition the messaging um, to Aunt Gladys. Uh, Peter, you've been quiet. Why don't you start with us? If you had uh, – what's your elevator pitch? What's your, what's your uh, you know, 60-second, two-minute pitch to the uh, non-digerati about uh, this issue, why it's important and why it's a bad idea? The the focus that we're trying to take now is to try and have a more um, positive spin so that it's not uh, a campaign purely built around um, sort of negativity, negative language, um, and and the, and those and those sorts of concepts. The, the the feeling is that the more we we base the argument and our campaign uh, in some of that sort of language actually doesn't uh, appeal to um, the broader community, which is obviously where we're going to have to try and fight this particular debate. So what we're talking um, about in, in terms of language is to have a more um, positive approach, which, which says that the internet is something that provides value to us in our day-to-day lives, um, in education, in business, and all of those sorts of things. Uh, and that it's it's not in anyone's interests 
for us as individuals, as students, as um, businesses, as, as families, to have the government come in and, and to try and uh, restrict our access in some way to all the good things that the internet can provide for us. So if we're taking the pitch to the non-digerati, to the people who don't necessarily have um, an intimate um, understanding of how the internet works, it's basically to try and um, make an argument that the internet filter, um, apart from being government censorship and, and we can agree Perhaps that's not that's not the role um, for the government. That more than anything else, it's not actually going to achieve the benefit of making children, families um, safer, uh, mm-hmm. and that we we need to have an an approach and a policy and a dialogue and a discussion um, across the country that ensures that um, the internet is as safe as possible for individuals, to families, uh, and the like. And so that's really the direction that we're looking to take things. Stephen, are you? Yeah, sure. Um, so, putting a practical spin on what Peter said, and I and I completely agree with him. One of the things that at EFA, and I'm sort of you know one of the reasons I'm here today is part of my is my is my EFA role is that we're 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 winding back the use of the the no clean feed as a calling card for the campaign and trying to put a like the more the the open internet spin on it. Um, the other thing that we're doing is is pushing really hard. Uh, for all, with all the people that we talk to um, as individuals or as a group about the education of the, for want of a better word, the great unwashed um, who don't understand the issues. So if I talk about, say, some of the things that I did last year, um, I talked to a lot of big schools last year, four or five of them, um, where this issue came up and how do we control access of the kids that we're teaching and, and how do we avoid all these problems. Um, and I talk about um, a grander scale yeah, and this is just a practi- this is practical exercise. So, hey, if you're listening in and you've got family who don't get this, try this. One, make sure that I would say that your internet access at home is unfiltered. Put the computer in a in a public space in the room. In, in so you know the, the 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 computer that my daughter uses is in the family room. Uh, have some rules about being ex- explicit about what's cool to look for. And what's not cool to look for? So with a 12-year-old girl, I'm not too worried about her looking for porn. But if I had a 12-year-old boy, I'd be significantly more concerned. Hmm. Um, you know, boys are keen to explore that sort of stuff. Um, you know, I'm sure we all did as, as, as kids and, you know, older. And seriously, this stuff works. It's about – and one, you know, one of the arguments we see a lot is this is what, what this really is about is decent parenting and decent management of young people, if we want to protect the children, of young people in our care, whether we're teachers, parents, carers, whatever. And you know, educate them about this stuff. My 12-year-old has been using the internet since she was four. She has had her own email address since she was eight. I've never read her email. I've never filtered her internet. She has root access and knows how to use it to both the router and the machine that she uses. <laughs> but she's been educated on appropriate use of the internet. And seriously, she's never downloaded a virus. She's never encountered a net nasty. She's certainly never seen Goat Sauce, Tub Girl, or Two Girls, One Cup, or any of those things. No one has ever chatted to her in a in a space where she's engaging online in an inappropriate way and we've discussed what inappropriate way is with her. There are rules about her joining things like mailing lists. There are rules about her joining things like chat rooms and and, and communities and she obeys them. And, hey, she's 12 years old and she's about to go to high school and I'm sure she'll do something insanely stupid in the next six years and 
go against those rules. But hopefully I've educated her enough to deal with the things that are going that are almost inevitably going to happen with her in the next six years in her online activity as she becomes mature about it, to deal with it either herself or to come to me or her mum or a trusted friend and say, you know what, I've got a problem, can you help me deal with it? And that, yeah, that's, that and funding the federal police who have carriage of this stuff, you know, where it actually happens off the, off the web, they're the two things that are going to solve this problem for real and not spending money on a filter and messing with the RC classification so that stuff that shouldn't be on there, you know, ends up on there. I mean, I have a, I have a problem personally with RC in and of itself, but I see the reason for its existence and I don't think we're going to get rid of it anytime soon. So let's make sure that it's managed well and appropriately. And that means more governance and more more visibility of what goes on there, when it goes on there, and how it goes on there. All right, uh, Jim Boot. Okay, here's, here's, here's my pitch to my mum. She's just got her first computer. She's 70 years old, and uh, I'm getting her online. And she said, oh, and I said, I'm going to put you on Facebook. She said, oh, I don't want to go on Facebook. I've heard all about all the nasty things out there. I said, mum, there's plenty of nasty things on the internet, just like there's plenty of nasty things in the real world but you have to go looking for them. You will not stumble across them. And, if, and, and, and that's all you have to do. Everything that Stephen has just said is true. For kids, it's got to be about supervision. It's got to be about giving the power to the parents, giving the education to the parents so that they can teach the kids how they want them. I mean, when, when is it up to the government to decide whether uh, uh, someone's uh, old enough to, to watch an R-rated movie at home? I mean, surely that's a parent's decision. You know, and these are the sorts of things that the argument has to be taken back to. It's like this government filter will not protect you or your family or your children. It is purely a political exercise to appease a special interest group, and it's going to cost a lot more than $125 million to maintain. So given that it won't work and it will be hacked, all you have to do is make sure that you understand that you do not stumble across this stuff. Google doesn't um, have... Uh, isn't full of uh, RC classified content. Google doesn't, you know, it's like you you need to go hunting for these things and kids need to go hunting for those things. I saw my first piece of porn, I was probably 10 or 11 and it was pretty hardcore magazines and and you know where we got it? We got it from my mate up the road, his dad got it via mail order. So my point, my my point is, I think I've, I've gone off the air, have I? Am I still here? You're still there, Jim. Okay, good. So my point is, is that you can go and find this stuff anyway. You don't need the internet. You can go and find out how to make a bomb in a chemistry book. The point is here is if your kids are doing that, then maybe there's another issue that you need to address. Some, yeah, called parenting. Yeah. Hold on, you're, you're assuming that kids going looking for porn is a bad thing. Personally, I, I, don't, I don't think it is. I don't think there's anything bad about sex. I think sex is... No, well, no I'm, I was talking more about the bomb. All <laughs> <laughs> oh, right, the bomb, maybe. Uh, well, look, yeah, I, I tend to agree with Jim. Um, you know, I, uh, I believe that... The, uh, the, the, the way that the internet, or Molly asked a question in the chat room before, why should the internet be more open than the offline world is? 
you know, we've had censorship offline for a long time. Why shouldn't we have it online? That's basically seems to be the, the gist of Conroy's argument when it's boiled down into a 10-second soundbite. And it is very difficult, uh, very different, so I meant to say. I mean, in the offline world, censorship is there for two reasons. It's to, as I understand it anyway, it's to prevent people getting access to uh, truly illegal, uh, dangerous material, maybe about how to buy, build a bomb or, or something like that. Um, some of the really hardcore uh child pornography type stuff too. But really, a lot of censorship is there to protect, as I understand it, people accidentally stumbling over it. If they walk into a newsagent, I mean, the distribution mechanisms until the internet where you'd walk into a newsagent and some you know, old Catholic ladies didn't want to see titties when they walked into a newsagent because they thought they would go to hell if they saw titties. Um, and in the online world, as Jim's pointed out, it's a it's a pull mechanism. You have to go and search for this stuff. Now there there are instances where you'll be searching for something innocent, and you will end up on a donkey porn site. But uh, you know that that's a small instance of my experience in uh, fifteen years online. Have I ended up on a porn site when I didn't intend ending up on a porn site? So, uh, you know, I think we need to uh, help people understand that the online world is very different to the offline world. And again, I agree with what Jim said that, you know, I want to see us educating people that really what's driving this, it isn't about child pornography, it isn't about uh, rape, and it isn't about making bombs. What's really driving this is the encroachment of the happy clappers, the fundamentalist Christian right, (laughs) trying to assert their personal set of morals and views on Australian society. This is the beginning of a series of engineered efforts to take us back to the 19th century. You know, most fundamentalist Christians believe that the Western society is in uh, downfall and it's all because we've stopped going to church. Can I just ask you a question about that, Cam? Obviously, that is something that you feel passionately about and that bothers you immensely and, and, and I'm inclined to agree with you. My question is, do you actually believe, though, that that sort of argument, if we had to follow that, um, path is actually going to be successful in convincing the government or, or lobbying the government to change their policy. Because if it's if that argument is not going to bring about that outcome, I'm not necessarily convinced that it is the best argument to be running at this particular point in time on this particular issue. Well, Peter, I guess what I'm saying is I don't think the government is going to change this move towards the Christian right unless the Australian people force them to. I think that the Christian right have spent decades engineering their people into senior positions in both of the major parties and trying to, you know, with the family first, uh, trying to win um, seats outside of the major parties as well. I don't think that they're going to change their policy because I think this is just part of a long-term campaign to reassert Christian morals into Australian society. I think, though, that if we can educate uh, enough members of the public about the bigger agenda here, what's going on, and we can mobilise them to not vote for the major parties in the next federal election... That you know, we get them to vote either for a new party that uh, you, yourself and and Trib and Jim will be the heads of, 
Um, or we get them to vote uh, independent. We get them to vote for you know one of the the minor parties that ha- that actually have policies that uh, are in support of our arguments, like the Australian Sex Party. I had Fiona on this show uh, before the by elections in Victoria early December. I mean, they've got some great policies. I, I, I think that the name is unfortunate, but they actually have good policies. The, <laughs> the, the, the Pirate Party, another party that seems to have some pretty strong policies uh, that I agree with. Unfortunately, I think their name is, is going to uh, set them back a little bit. But, you know, if we can get them to vote outside of the two-party system enough to start to get the major parties to take us seriously. If we can mobilise the 70% of Australians that uh, Nielsen's tell us are on Facebook or the a percentage of the 800,000 Australians that f- follow Kevin Rudd on Twitter, if we can, if we can mobilise these people to pull votes away from both of the major parties in the next federal election enough so that they lose a seat or two seats that can be credibly associated with the campaign that we are running to destabilise the major parties because of their move to the hard right, then yes, I think that they will then start to take us seriously. But they're only going to take us seriously when we start to pull votes away from them. I don't think they're going to change a policy until the time where we show them that we actually uh, can mobilise voters to you know, pull votes out from underneath them. Yeah, I, look, Cam, I, I, I agree with you too. I'm inclined to to see the increased presence of, of a Christian right in Australian politics, and that concerns me significantly as well. Um, but um, as you're probably seeing in the chat room and as Pete expressed, I think it's a no-win argument. Mm. I, um, I, I, you know, I don't think it's something that you can go to the general public with and... And convince them, and I think it's because largely we have mandatory suffrage in Australia, and and everyone votes, and you know issues of faith are not so high in Australian minds, particularly those who you know vote and make a decision about their vote just before they pick up the pencil. But but this is the, my this is my exact point though. We, we, we are a very proud secular country. We have one of the highest rates of non-belief uh, in, in, in the census of the world, but people don't understand what's going on. I think if you ask most Australians, do you want us to end up like the United States where our governments are, we being, say hell no. are being run by a bunch of on. right-wing fundamentalist Christians where in the last days of the Bush government, uh, Rumsfeld and Cheney were writing uh, Old Testament biblical quotes on their reports of what was happening in Afghanistan and Iraq, where Bush got up and, and said to Jacques Chirac that he was, you know, fighting an Old Testament war to stop the heathens and stop Gog and Magog returning. I mean, most Australians, if they understood that it's it's not the Father Bobs of the world, it's 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 not the old tired. Catholic priests that are driving this. It's the new age, highly organised, well-funded, American-driven, Christian right-wing happy clappers that are driving the agenda here. I think most Australians, if they understood that, would start to go, oh, hold on a second, we don't want to end up there. Yeah, look, Cam, I I agree with you that, 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 that is exactly what's happening. 
But I think to try to – what I learned with the, the last U.S. federal election was, as you know, I was a big fan of a, of a libertarian candidate uh, – or sorry, a Republican candidate who happened to be a libertarian called Ron Paul. And what I watched with the data in the searches with presidential candidates is that um, Obama – yes, he used social media, but mainstream media – actually got him to the point where he was able to use social media. To cut through in this argument, we have to get into mainstream media. And I don't think you're going to get into mainstream media with an anti-Christian fundamentalist argument. I think you will get in there with, a, with an argument of waste uh, and uselessness and folly. Um, but And I think that's the way around it because the mainstream media still will still drive... Um, the uh, the opinions. It's you know we talk about seventy million Australians on Facebook, but they're not all watching the same thing. Seventy million Australians? That's a lot. Oh, sorry, um, the W you quoted before. Seven. God damn, those boat people are coming. <laughs> right, look, look, guys, I'm not necessarily saying that um, you know uh, watch out the Christians are coming. Message is the right campaign messaging to go out there. What I'm saying is. We need to understand, this is, this is uh, Sun Tzu, right? We need to understand the battle that we're fighting. If you go out there thinking that you're fighting a battle about this particular filter and don't realize that the actual battle is an ideological one that's being fought across all of the parties, we will lose. Even if we win this battle, we are going to lose the war. All I'm saying is it's very important that we know what fight we're getting into. Don't take a knife to a gunfight. And my concern with all of the messaging and rhetoric that I'm hearing around the filter is that we think we're fighting one battle when really we're fighting another one. Yeah. I mean, I, one thing I would add, though, is that the, the U.S. would never implement a filter like this. You know, what they've done in the U.S., the, the president now has the power to switch off all internet communications in a state of emergency. But they wouldn't have a filter because uh, they have such a, a history in, uh, in liberty and, and, and free speech and all those sorts of things. So although... You mentioned free speech is enshrined in their constitution. Correct, which we don't have. Um, but, you know, so I, I, I hear what you're saying and you're right, but I think the only way to, get, to do it is to cut through with, um, with things that will get picked up by you know the, the the current affairs, where the great unwashed are watching uh, or getting their main news feed. Most people don't care about politics. Most people don't care about you know what's going on. They'll just vote for the person who looks less damaging most of the time. And there's there's the core issue problem that we have in Australia. That's right. Right? Exactly. Can they, can so, they pay their school fees? Can they pay their mortgage? Can they pay their car loan? And can they go out to the movies every now and again? And who's going exactly. who's going to win Australian Idol next week in the cricket? Exactly. So, so you have to get into those same mediums where they're collecting that information and hit them between the eyes with some really punchy stuff that says that. So they say that's bloody ridiculous. Why are we doing that? Um, and and that's why I think anybody who's listening to this who knows how to make videos, get on, start making videos, start putting them on YouTube, start distributing them because that's the sort of shit that go, that goes viral. And that's the sort of stuff that's going to get into people's inbox who don't care about this sort of stuff. All right, guys, um, we're up to 53, 54 minutes. Um, I'll ask for you know final comments, starting with uh, Peter Black. He's been so quiet. Jim, okay, stop, thanks, stop Cam. typing. Sorry, sorry. 
Look, Mum, and I agree with all the sentiments and the ideas that have been put out here, and I think that it, there's lots of different facets um, to this particular argument and this particular campaign. Uh, I think the, you know, the task I've been charged with and, and the role that the EFA is is seeking to play in this is how can we best communicate um, our message to you know, the non-technology literate people, because that's ultimately where this debate is going to be um, won and lost. And also, how can we work towards achieving a practical political solution um, that is, as far as possible, um, you know, agreeable to, to most of the different players in this particular debate? I mean, the idea of a mandatory internet filter and this level of government censorship should be uh, a great concern to all Australian citizens, but I'm not necessarily convinced um, that it is or that that's the winning argument. Uh, and so we have to be careful about constructing our message um, and, and spreading the word so that um, all sectors of Australian society appreciate that the government proposal as it currently stands is not in the best interests of Australia, uh, of families, of individuals or of businesses. And, that, and that's where I and the EFA are going to be working towards uh, thank you, mate. Steve? Yeah, to pick up Pete's last point, particularly businesses, and I think this was mentioned in the chat, if we can convince businesses this is bad for them, um, and it's not, not just tech businesses because tech businesses know, but general business, hey, look, you know, it's going to be harder for you to, to get your message out because people are going to find it harder to get to your site because it's hosted on an Australian server and there's all filtering on the, on the connection that the uh, connected to the server. If business gets up in arms about this, if we got, you know, AIG up in arms about this, um, there'd, be a, there'd be a big noise going on. Um, if we got the mums and the dads with the kids in childcare up in arms about this, there's a big noise going on. And so, yeah, like Pete said, and, and as the EFA position is, we need to construct a message that both appeals to the, the, the technically adept among us, as well as the non-technically adept, as well as those people, as Jim pointed out, who don't care about the politics, who don't care whether their politicians go to church at Hillsong, the local Catholic church or whatever, on a Sunday, because it's their arguments that while I think that you're right, Cam, there is a problem with the encroachment of religion in Australian politics now, they're not arguments that enough people care about yet. And so the arguments need to be around the things that, that do work. Law and order... Waste of government money and the ability to be, of business and people to get on and do what they want to do. All right, thanks, Jimbo. Yeah, I, I would obviously agree with all those things, and, and certainly um, when I'm talking to people now, it, it it's not necessarily about the free speech, but it, it, it's about the farcical nature of what the government's trying to do and how it could balloon out to cost billions if they try to do it properly, and that it won't work, and that business has. And I, I don't think business really will get involved until, uh, apart from my own, uh, until the uh, the filter gets hacked and it takes out access. Now, when that happens, and it, and it will, um, then I think we'll start to see a lot of screaming. But the uh, but that's the potential of what, we, what what's going to happen here is, uh, and and certainly every, I mean, we have about I don't know fifty or sixty clients now, um, and in all sorts of different industries, and they're all web based clients. Um, but they're, they're bricks and mortar businesses, they're one-man shows, they're, co- they're corporates, and they all rely extremely heavily on traffic to their website. You take that away, um, and you know, I, I hate to think what would happen if 
the Australian internet access was out for a day. That would be an incredible, an incredible impact on uh, the Australian economy. All right, guys. Well, thanks for making the time to chat. Thanks to the folks in the chat room for coming and listening live, and uh, thanks to everyone who's listening to the recording. You know, I know there's a series of meetings uh, continuing to uh, be held around the country. Um, one of the themes of those meetings, uh, from what I've been seeing, seems to be that we need to clarify our arguments, we need to clarify our messaging, and, and let's let's look, face the facts that as a political force, uh, we are very, very new. We're, we're babies of this. So there's nothing wrong with the fact that this is uh, going to be a difficult process where we try and turn ourselves, whoever we may be, uh, the, 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 the folks on Twitter, the Digirati, into some sort of a political force. But I think uh, having these sorts of sessions, I, you know, I've certainly um, learnt a lot today. I, I found it enjoyable to hear from you guys. So I think we should uh, at least supplement this, the, the real-world stuff that's happening with uh, a, a series of these discussions that we can all participate in as we try and clarify the messaging. Um, Stephen Collins, Peter Black, Jim Stewart, um, thanks for joining us, and uh, thanks, everyone, for tuning in. And uh, this will be online uh, a little bit later today. Cheers, everyone. Thanks, Cam. Thanks, Cam. Thanks, Steve. Thanks, Peter. Yeah, thanks, Cam. Thanks, guys. Have a good other. And we're out. Yay! Well, we're still online, and but you know that's where I'll, that's where I'll cut the tape. <laughs> Sweet. It's the after-show party. <laughs> now you can all say what you really think, and I promise it's not recording. <laughs> it's not being broadcast. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. All right, guys. Well, listen. Um, you know, I don't know what the EFA is doing in terms of online stuff, Steve and Peter, but. Um, you know, certainly rather than this disjointed city-by-city um, city approach that seems to be happening, you know, I think we need to pull together more on a national basis and maybe, you know, doing some more stuff online is uh, one of the ways to tackle that. Yeah, look, um, yeah. we have a new site coming out um, relatively soon that's being built for us at the moment. But the, the, the very point of the site is to be a national hub for activity around this sort of stuff. Obviously, we've got to convince all the different splintery bits and pieces to use it as a hub, um, and that's part of the message that Pete has been engaged to to do. So, um, yeah, new site coming soon, um, hub for activity and getting messages out to the unwashed as well as to the technically adept. How often uh, does the EFA do press releases to media about uh, this sort of stuff? Pretty regularly, um, and they're all published on the EFA site, so not hard to find. Because um, one, one of the things, one of the things that, that I noticed happened with the US election, and, I, and we don't seem to have it. Uh, I haven't found the site yet that we we have it here. Is a pooling of where people can come in and pull resources and say, "I need help with signs. I need help with yeah. this," or, or or meetup groups. Or so this uh, is the exact thinking that we're that, that this new site is being built around is about providing resources, providing a way for you to get access to I don't know lists of folk you can call. Um, what about sort of um, what about discussion groups? Anything like that? Uh, that is all in the mix. Okay. It'd be great if, if you guys do. I mean, I, I wanted to build something myself, but we just don't have time here. But, um, but something where people can come in who want to get involved and can uh, – because Twitter is such a, as you know, I mean, so transient that you're not going to get um, – you, know, you, you don't get that, the, the same uh, level of activity that you do with a forum. Well, uh, and, 
and, and threads and those sorts of things. And rather, it, and because the EFA's got such a high profile in the debate, it'd be a, more a logical, I guess. That if uh, only it was, if only it was higher. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I said in the debate, not in the media. Yeah, true. But, but right. you know, those those coordinated approaches to for people to get get involved and start doing press releases to every media outlet on a regular basis. But well, that's, why we're, that's why we're paying Pete the big bucks. But before we can do any of that, you know, we, we, we really need to clarify our arguments and our, and our messaging. And you exactly. know, to be honest, after you know, chatting with you guys for an hour, I'm really no clearer on what the messaging is that we want to go out there. I mean, it just seems to come back to censorship is bad, but Conroy's already just going to say, well, we've already got censorship, so what's the big deal? Um, if we say the internet should be open, his response is, well, why? Everything else is, you know, controlled. Why should the internet be open, you bunch of hippies? Mm. I mean, it doesn't seem to me that there's an argument yet coming out of the campaign that would would stand up to Conroy for, for 10 seconds. Well, for me, it's you're spending billions on something or you're going to be spending billions on something if you do it properly that won't work. Well, Why? No, he'll just say, well, it does work. The report proves it. It's not billions and it's protecting the children. Well, it doesn't because China couldn't make it work. No, You're going to say you... our report says it does. No, but China says China tried to make this work and make that. That's, that's, you China. You... that's China. That's China. Our report worked. Our trials worked. <laughs> yeah, this is exactly. Look, what I mean, there's always going to there's always going to be two sides, you know, to but, the argument. But the, you've the, got the, but... The, the, the test for us is not how do we have an argument that can't be countered. Um, the the, the the approach that we have to adopt is to construct our arguments such a way that it makes it harder for uh, mm. people to mount, you know, various mm. sort of oversimplifications and generalizations, you know, that, that Conroy and, and others have been adopting. And again, that's something that we're working on um, a great deal at the moment to, to work out the language, to work out the message. And so that when we launch our new site um, uh, to, to act as the hub, hopefully we'll all be, you know, singing from the same songbook, well, so don't, to speak. Don't do it in a vacuum, though, Pete. I mean, there's, there's no, hundreds of thousands of people all. that are participating <laughs> not, in this. You know, trust you me, to... not, um, we're not doing it in a vacuum at all, and I'm trying to talk to as many different people as possible. And yeah, one of, the, one, of the re- one of the reasons I asked about those discussion forums uh, was because, you know, there's, there's times where I think, oh, shit, if only I knew a, an economist in this space who could uh, throw me a few numbers that I need to write this press release to get it out. Um, it's that sort of stuff that um, we need some sort of yeah. hub, hub for. Resource. So, what, so one, of the, mm. one of the parts of this whole process is us, lobbying is the wrong word, approaching people that we know are friendly to the, the concept but haven't really said anything particular yet. Um, mm-hmm. you know, Justices Kirby people like Margaret Pomeranz, those sorts of people, people mm-hmm. who, are, who are more visible to the general public mm-hmm. and, and get them to, 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 I guess, give us an endorsement. Um, and you know, hopefully you know, someone like Margaret will, well, you know, if, if the ABC let us say that's it such a That's such a 20th century, 1950 approach, though, and the thing that amuses is, me about all what, of this... It's what the unwashed understand. No, it's where the voters are, though, Cam. Seriously. Well, I disagree with that. I, I, think, I think we are making the same mistakes that the ad agency I work at makes when they say, yeah, we need to go broader than the internet for this. And I'm like, fuckers, everyone's on the internet. Um, yeah, but they're not all looking at the same thing. Well, they're not all looking at Twitter, but the, the, the thing that I find amusing about this is we are, you know, the, the new media gurus 
that have mm-hmm. been living and breathing this stuff and advise clients about it on every day. And as soon as we have an important issue, we fall back into Margaret Pomerantz. I mean, why aren't we creating thousands of YouTube viral videos, thousands of funny cartoons and comic books and blog posts? And why, why aren't we instead getting ramping, just saturating the Facebooks and the interwebs and the YouTubes with satirical stuff lampooning this policy that the government I, can't respond I, to? I think partly because there, there, there isn't that sort of... Uh, you know, you, Facebook isn't really friendly to do that sort of stuff. Um, I, I think it's... What? You know, we, Facebook's no, not a good good mechanism for distributing content. No, Facebook's not a good me- mechanism for having threaded discussions about certain issues, uh, helping people get involved. It's, it is very... Uh, my, my thing is the reason that's not happening is that there isn't a focal point. There's about I, I think there's about at least four or five... Internet censorship pages within for for uh, regarding the Australian filtering on no, Facebook. No, but I'm not talking about Facebook groups. I'm talking about people pushing stuff out in their own newsfeed. Jeez, yeah, my, but there's my collaboration. About- collaboration, though, you put, that comes from collaboration. That comes from people encouraging others to get involved and say, "Hey, look, everyone, what I did." And, they, uh, uh, and we don't have a portal, if you like, for that to use a 20th century term. We don't have that thing where people can come in and say. I'm making this. Who can help? Who can throw some stuff? Who can put some resources behind it? I need some SEO on this. Jim, can you help? You know, I, no one's approached me for SEO help. And I'd, I'd ha- ha- happily put, you know, uh, uh, well, we, we already helped uh, the Stephen-Conroy.com without them asking. You know, we'd happily do that if there was a, a forum where we could get involved. We'll, we'll throw a, a site into our, into our sausage machine and, and see what we can do. You know, and I'm sure there's a lot of other businesses out there like that that can, you know, throw stuff in that isn't going to cost them a lot, but it's going to have a huge benefit. And it's that focus that we need, I think. Yeah, yeah look, and I, that's what we're hoping to do. Look, I agree we need focus. I'm saying that let's, let's focus our talents and our skills and our resources and our contact networks in saturating online with content mm-hmm. around this stuff, not, you know, falling back to, you know, uh, the traditional media. Because, again, because yeah. the traditional media fucking hate us. They yeah, are no. not going to get on board. It's, you know, it's like Carly oh. Larson at Adbusters trying to buy ads saying consumerism is killing us and he can't even buy ad space on the television networks in this country because they yeah. don't want people to know that. You, you, what, you can't fight this through. with... You, but it, cuts it, it only cuts through if you get it on there in the first place, is what I'm saying. They're not going to let you get the message out there because they're on board. No, no, but if you get to a point where you've got critical mass on on something like a, a viral video or or whatever it might be, or there's something... You've got to have the right pitch. You've got to have the right pitch and the right hook so that a current affair goes, oh, my God, we've got to show that video. Or it's, uh, you know, that's where you have to cut through. And I understand the Margaret Pomerantz um, approach. I think that sort of still going down the free speech uh, avenue a bit. But I, I, I completely understand that because the U.S. federal election, Ron Paul was absolutely blitzing online. He, he, had the, he, he raised the most cash of any politician in a single day in the history of, of, of politics. And he did that all through the Internet. And you know what? He didn't have people organising. They, the, the crowd pushed him. He didn't go after the crowd. Then when mainstream media dropped him, it disappeared. So my point is, is that mainstream media 
will drive this debate, as much as yeah. I hate to say that. I, I don't think Paul or Dennis Kucinich got any mainstream media coverage to begin with. Uh, the, the, the mainstream media just ignored them like, as they're a black hole. Well, I've got a video that will show you the data, so I'll, yeah. I'll shoot it through to you. Shoot it through to me. All right, guys. Well, right, let's, let's wrap Thanks, it up. Guys. Thanks for your time, Thanks everyone. Let's do it again. Yeah. Thanks, okay. guys. Thanks, Thanks Dan. Thanks. Okay. Bye.